Welcome to True Nature Radio. I'm Lori Regan. And I'm Heiner Fruhoff. Today we're going to talk about Chinese herbs, and specifically our focus is going to be on the quality of the herbs. How do we ensure that we get high-quality, non-contaminated herbs, and then how can they be used in a way that they're optimally effective? Take it away, Heiner. Uh (laughs) Aha. Um... Because I'm concerned as a scholar of Chinese medicine, particularly Chinese herbs, uh, about the quality of substances, including herbs that come out of China. Um, So concerned that I even founded my own herbal company so I have greater control over what I am actually getting and prescribing to my patients. And um, we live here in the the Pacific Northwest, and uh, it's a beautiful environment. However, the Alzheimer's rate is higher than anywhere else in the United States because five tons of mercury get deposited in the environment every year. And those heavy metals, they blow over from Asia, specifically the Chinese mainland, every year because the energy demands of that pumping Chinese economy are so high right now that they're using uh, particularly uh, cheap um, electricity from polluting coal plants um, to fuel the, uh, the appetite of their economy. And when we look So this means that China pays an incredibly high price for their economic progress right now uh, that we also heard about during the Olympics, for instance, because Beijing has some pollution index that uh, frequently exceeds Mm -hmm. 1,000. I forget what that is. It's probably parts per cubic inch or something like that, solid particles, and Uh, In comparison to that, New York has 19 or so, so it's an unbelievably high level of pollution. When I was a student in China in the early 1980s, um, you would be in the desert climate of uh, northern China, Beijing specifically, and you have vibrantly blue skies are normal there, and now you have visibility of less than 100 yards routinely, and you see the sun once a year or so. So that means that food and, of course, herbs that come out of China, even from relatively distant locations, uh, they are frequently polluted, particularly with heavy metals, because you have this acid rain that comes down and uh, pollutes the soils with metals like arsenic, mercury, lead, cadmium, chromium, etc. And that gets absorbed depending on the nature of the plant because plants are mineral collectors and they will absorb uh, sometimes um, toxic minerals that are artificially produced from the environment just as much as they produce natural trace elements from the soil. And um, as a result of it, there has been a lot of concern uh, in the West about those kind of um, 
pollution. And then, of course, you've got man-made pollution, meaning in the production process that something gets added on as a filler uh, on purpose or some kind of uh, drug contamination to have a quote-unquote better result. <laughs> uh, those are all things we read in the news, and some of it is exaggerated, uh, but some of it is quite real. And Yeah, uh, that latter one you mentioned, isn't it true that um, that happens more in the some of the patent formulas? It's been found that some of the pre-made patent formulas have contained a drug that gives a direct uh, pharmacological action um, to get a, a really fast, dramatic result that the the herbal formula that's in there would be directed toward. Yeah, regulation in China of production of patent formulas is, uh, is very chaotic. And also the import of Chinese products and, and foods uh, into this country just because of the sheer enormity of the scale of what gets imported. It's impossible for everything get examined all of the time. Um, there has been, particularly at the beginning of Chinese medicine, the 1970s, 80s uh, or so, there were, you know, completely uncontrolled patent medicines entering uh, the, particularly the Chinatown markets in this country. Um, but the FDA has really, in the last few years, has gotten quite strict about examination of products, especially herbal products coming from India, coming from China into the U.S. and um, demanding uh, GMP, good manufacturing practices, uh, inspections and certificates uh, from every company and their subcontractors that produce these uh, products. So the quality and quality control has dramatically increased in recent years. So let's talk a little bit more about that, Heiner, about the FDA. Um, I mean, there's a really great aspect of that that you're referring to, which is that there's much more awareness of the contamination, the pollution, what could be wrong, you know, detrimental about the herbs coming in. There's also a really <laughs> difficult side of that, which is that the FDA is now um, requiring individual dispensaries, shall we say, to do a level of regulation. So, Heiner, um, why then should we, should we even be using Chinese herbs? Like, is it too much of a problem for us to be able to deal with? Should we, should we just stay with herbs that are grown in this country, or, or what do we do? Well, this is a very good question. I mean, I live in the uh, Sandy River Gorge, uh, close to the Columbia uh, National uh, Park area, and is one of the areas in the world with the highest amount of biodensity. And I have all kinds of. I walk two steps, and there is another herb, you know. And yet, I'm importing herbs from China. Uh, why would I do that if I have this bounty of wild crafted? Um, things right at my fingertips there. And the answer is, uh, there, there's several components to the answer. And one of them, and perhaps the most important reason to use Chinese herbs is because there is no other system of 
energetic assessment and alchemical stability uh, uh, in the world that assesses the energetics of herbs better than the Chinese system, meaning um, there is over the centuries, for thousands of years, uh, starting with the Huangdi Neijing, the Yellow Emperor's classical medicine, and even more so than the Shennong Bensaojing, the uh, Shennong's Materia Medica from the probably the second century, and the Shanghan Lun, the treatise on disorders caused by cold, also second century, is already an incredibly sophisticated system of not only what you can use a single herb for, from not a laboratory chemical perspective, but energetically speaking, what it does to your body, what it does to your emotions, what it does to your mind, but what happens when you combine different herbs together. And Western herbalism has very much kind of stagnated on a level of looking at single herbs and then a not very sophisticated system of how to combine uh, these different herbs together in tinctures. The Chinese have form the, something that's called fangjishu, the science of formula studies that I use in my own clinical practice very often formulas from the Shanghan Lun that are quite literally 1800 plus years old and then have weathered the test of time and in these 1800 years there's nothing better than this remedy for a particular disorder and to give an example herbs by definition are strong foods it's like cayenne pepper or something like this. So you can't use a whole lot of that. and um, But it's a very potent medicine. So meaning if you use too much of it, there can be a potential for toxicity. I'm not talking about metal toxicity or so, but just it's too strong of a substance that your liver then can't metabolize. And so the Chinese have learned to combine different substances together so that they support each other but also reduce each other's toxicity. So for instance, if I can use 30 grams of one herb as a daily dose safely, 60 grams would be better and 100 would be better, but a single herb would be toxic. So if I have three herbs, 30 grams each, that all do the same thing, I have 90 grams of potential medicinal power, but only 30 grams of toxicity, since each one of these substances is different. And then I can have so-called helper and assistant herbs that further reduce the toxicity of those. So the Chinese have this system that creates great alchemical stability where you have an emperor herb that leads the main function and then you have a minister herb that supports the emperor in doing this job and then you have assistant and servants that kind of buffer potential toxic effect of those herbs. So 
the Chinese simply have an incredibly sophisticated way of describing what a single herb does. Energetically, it's the ultimate homeopathy. We should really at some point have a show on Chinese medicine and homeopathy. It's this vast ocean of uh, the science of signatures and then the science of alchemy, what happens when you put different ingredients together, boil them together, uh, and um, that the science of formula studies. So that is my reason why I think Chinese herbs are still a viable form of using. And of course, we in the 21st century, we every day we're using something that is imported from a distant location. Our coffee comes from far away. Olive oil often comes from far away. And wine, etc., comes from far away. Most spices we use come from far away. I grew up in Germany. Uh, even the very native plants like peppermint and chamomile uh, are often imported from Egypt because there is, for instance, because there is not enough land to grow these kinds of things large-scale in those countries. Yeah, and there's also an issue, isn't there, about, um, you know, when they're talking 2,000 years ago about the herbs that were grown, there's a really important thing about time and place, the quality of the soil, the quality of the energetics of the area, the temperature, the climate. The um, So isn't that also a really key factor here that we... Um, in the West, anyway, we have a tendency now to evaluate herbs in terms of their um, chemical components, their constituents, the molecules that you find. In fact, of course, that's the basis for pharmaceuticals is finding a single key ingredient in a plant and then isolating that out, concentrating it to have its maximal pharmacological effect. And then we became more sophisticated so we could um, actually synthesize that molecule and make variations on it, which might have a slightly different action or might not have a hugely different action, but allow a company to patent it and make more money. Um, but so talk some about this issue about the quality of the herb based upon its origin in time and space. In physics, there is something that is called the wave-particle duality, meaning every substance in nature is both matter, chemistry, has chemical building blocks, and it is vibration, frequency, waveform. And in the West, medicine has chosen to focus on the anatomy and the biochemistry of things. So on the matter component, aspect of uh, herbs and in China almost exclusively and that's that what makes it really a homeopathic uh, science is it's focused on the wave uh, component on the frequency and it is descriptive in the ancient classics of the energy that a particular plant carries and when you imbibe a plant you're imbibing its energy and that energy is dramatically affected by the energetics of place, also called terroir in modern times in Western languages, meaning the yeah the energy of the earth. That's uh, the place where it's grown. So it's not just the botanical species, but the place where it grows. And that, of course, you know, on 
wave and particle are related. You know, for instance, I recently read a study about maca, which is, of course, a, you know, known as a, from a Chinese perspective, a yang tonic, something that improves immunity, libido, uh, warmth in the body, because it is a plant that grows high up in the Andes, uh, like at the right near glaciers at high altitude. And it, in order to survive there, it needs to have this hardiness built in there. And if you imbibe that plant, it will give you that hardiness. Um, and But if you take that plant and you grow it at low altitude, which they have done in greenhouses in Holland, there are certain chemical components where you have only 20% thereof that as when you grow the same plant, same botanical species at high altitude where it normally occurs in the wild in Peru. And uh, so from a Chinese perspective, of course, the warmth-giving, yangqi-enhancing qualities then are dramatically diminished. And this is something um, that I find is not paid attention to anymore in modern communist China, where, uh, which is just as capitalist as it is communist, but both of them are disregarding the ancient alchemical rules where you look at not only combining different herbs together, but how heaven and earth, how um, time and space interplay and interconnect with each other. So there is this concept of di dao yao cai in ancient China, which means uh, an herb is specified to come ideally from a particular place uh, in China where the energy is particularly suitable to, uh, you know, is related to a particular stellar constellation, is related to a particular organ. So if that herb is grown there, it'll have a particularly strong uh, energetic effect on a particular organ. And one of the best examples is aconite, uh, the Lisha Gen, and even 2,000 years ago earlier, uh, classics of herbal medicine stated, if it doesn't come from Jiangyou in Sichuan, then it is not the aconite that should be used in, uh, in, in herbal medicine. And nowadays, it's 95% of the harvest of aconite in China is produced elsewhere just because it's cheaper uh, to, to produce it there. Secondly, uh, time. There's when an herb is planted, uh, when it is harvested, how it is processed afterwards, those are all part of the ancient science of alchemy. Uh, and, and that is very much disregarded also, particularly the poetry, the um, processing an herb after it's been harvesting with vinegar, with um, wine, with honey, uh, etc., to further alter and enhance its its energetic effect in a particular direction or bring out or neutralize uh, a particular effect uh, is uh, 
being disregarded because it's a craft and that craft has been lost. Yeah, and we should also say this relates to some of the shows we've done previously about cultivation because ultimately discerning the the young qualities of the herb, the energetics of the herb is a an ability that one can develop in oneself, right? That it's not simply that we're dependent on the chemical analysis, not that that doesn't have its level of validity, but there are people, and certainly in the ancient times, most all, you should say, probably practitioners cultivated their ability to feel, to discern, to perceive directly what this herb was doing in the body, which led to the high level of sophistication you're talking about in the awareness of how the combination of different herbs was affecting the body. It's not just a mental, logical, analytical process. It's actually a deep process of self-cultivation and perception, right? Right. There is that phrase called shen nong chang bai cao, meaning the shen nong, the divine husbandman who is credited with the discovering the flavors and the functions of the herbs in ancient times, tried out personally the 100 herbs or all plants in nature. And that doesn't mean that he put those into his mouth and saw whether they were toxic or not, but it was basically this plant spirit medicine concept where you sit and meditate and commune with the energy of those plants and you feel while you're holding uh, the plant what meridian it goes into. Yeah. And I actually feel compelled to go back to when you said in the in the West, there's a, a tendency to be more reductionistic and focus on the single herbs. Just want to acknowledge that there's also a stream of people doing incredible work in this way with Western herbs. Uh, Elliot Cowan, um, we've had interviews with Stephen Herod Buhner, um, Jeremy Ross, people who are now working to discern the energetics of the Western herbs, but along the lines of in the same, um, using the same methods that have been used since ancient times. Yeah, the pendulum has almost swung the other way, is that you can find better energetic medicine in the West now than in China itself, because China's on such a materialist binge right now, or has been for, for, um, for at least uh, 50, 60 years or so, that uh, it itself has lost the ability to connect back to the Tao sciences that it originally is so famous for. It's put its own classics into the museum, but uh, people uh, who actually able, including in the profession of Chinese medicine, to feel and perceive energy directly or even believe in the concept of uh, energy and direct perception are considering how many millions of people work in the field of Chinese medicine in China. A few, uh, very few, whereas in the West there is a, a, for a while now has been a, a great interest in the revival of those ancient ways of approaching holistic medicine because we have some kind of Western medicine and materialist fatigue because we've been at it for 
so long that we've become jaded and we want to go back to something that is more system-oriented, more whole. Yeah, so Heiner, maybe we can um, conclude the show by talking about the, the promise for the future. This wasn't the point of the show, but I'm, I want to bring up or ask you about my understanding is that was the motivation for you developing your own line of, of herbal formulas, right, was to be able to have more direct control over the quality of the herbs that you're importing from China, making sure that they're really high quality, grown in the right kind of environment with the right kind of action. And then there's also positive things happening in this country. In fact, I'd love to see if we can do a show in the future with somebody from High Falls Garden, where Jean Gablay there is is doing this amazing job of importing Chinese herbs and growing them in different sites around the country to see where which herbs can grow in such a way that they very naturally express the um, the medicinal benefits that the herbs do in particular locations in China. Yeah, we live in the 21st century, and uh, we, with all the pitfalls that it has, including our adherence to uh, advertising and just you know ignorantly then buying certain products that that look nice or are described nicely on the web, but we don't really know what we're getting. Um, there is the, we're living in the information age, so we just simply need to keep our eyes open and stay informed. And it is a fact about uh, Chinese herbs that A, the environment is polluted there, uh, things that are being harvested there will have traces of uh, metals and often pesticides in them. However, on the other hand, there is technology that you can use to remove those metals safely from that. There is strict um, rules now about inspecting uh, toxicity, not just once, but again and again, both then in China, then again in the encapsulation factory over here uh, in, with independent laboratories, etc. And for me, the biggest promise is in herb trading, something that is already happening a lot in our city in Portland, Oregon. We Before this show, we went to a place that's called uh, Stumptown Coffee Roasters. And the coffee you buy there, every single package says direct trade on it. Because the biggest threat um, to Chinese herbs is not necessarily the pollution in China, is not necessarily the weakness of the herbs that are grown, mass-produced nowadays, rather than just collected in the wild. So they are the same plant, but they are much weaker um, Similarly to, you know, the kale you grow in your garden is much more potent than some you buy at some mega, uh, you know, supermarket chain in, in, in the United States. Uh, but is that the peasants themselves, while the demand on herbs is rising everywhere in the world, the Chinese themselves are making more money, they want to live longer, buy these luxury items, and they're not just being exported. And, but 
the there's so many people in between that make the money of buying and selling these herbs that control a commodity very much like a stock item and then then try and sell low and sell high and buy low but the peasant themselves makes very little money so the people who produce the herbs they want to grow walnuts and uh, other kind of items that bring them more money because the herb trade doesn't produce all that much money for them. So if there is movement, which is happening with tea, which is happening with coffee, which is happening with olive oil, which um, I myself with my company Classical Pearls and other colleagues of mine are trying to do that, have sort of small-scale herb production, buying high quality of herbs where you could get directly in contact with the people who actually produce those herbs, uh, that then is not only a higher level of guarantee that you get uh, not only an unpolluted, but also a vibrant product and something, and that is very important, and ethically a, a product that has high ethical integrity because you are benefiting rather than destroying a community and giving back um, to a community that is helping you and your community to gain a greater health. So rather than buying the herbs by the ton on some kind of stock market in Hong Kong, uh, the way to do it is to, you know, make contact with the growers themselves or hire the growers to grow the herbs in a particular, to, in this biodynamic way, for instance, in a sustainable way when it's wild crafted. And uh, I think that is one of the, that, that, that takes extra work, but more and more companies are committed to doing that now, and I think that is the promise of uh, herbalism in the in the future to more and more, whether it's Western herbs or Chinese herbs, to proceed like that. Great. I always like to have that kind of hopeful note at the end. There is improvement. There is a way to, to get sustainably um, produced high-quality herbs. There is a way, and it's already happening, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's all we have for today with this episode of True Nature Radio. I'm Lori Regan. And I'm Heiner Fruhoff. If you are interested to find out more about Chinese herbs and responsible growing and harvesting and processing methods, go to the website of uh, Classical Pearls, classicalpearls.org. And for more information about uh careers in natural medicine, you can go to the website of National College of Natural Medicine, which is ncnm.edu, where there are programs in classical Chinese medicine, naturopathic medicine, Master of Science of Integrated Medical Research, and the newest is a Master in Whole Foods Nutrition. Thanks. Thanks.